Good morning. Before I pray, I just wanted to give a sincere thanks to Bob and Sonny Bauer. I stayed with them last night and sincerely appreciate the hospitality. I won't name names. One of your sons said they didn't scare you away. and uh, No, they did not. Uh, it was a joy to be with them. And, and again, sincerely appreciate uh, being with you guys last night and uh, just being able to visit with you and, and learn more about you. And, and it's my hope to, uh, in, in short order, be able to meet with everybody here from the church, either for, for a meal or cake or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> also, want to sincerely thank everyone for the, uh, for the welcome today. Uh, Carrie wishes you could be here. Her, uh, her youngest sister actually came up to, to visit their parents over the holiday weekend, so Carrie's in, in St. Louis today, but she is with us in spirit. But would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace and gospel. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers and, and the evidences of your grace throughout the lives of the people here. Lord, I pray for this church that we can be a light in this community in reaching people with the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, I do pray for, uh, for young Mason and his kidney. And I, I pray for, for his health, for his doctors who are working with him. I pray for his parents, Lord. I, I can't imagine the, the, the stress in that. And, and I pray for, for good health and good results and... Um, and for everything to, um, to work out well with that. Heavenly Father, I pray for, uh, for Carol Reed as she is, is battling Parkinson's disease. And I, I pray for, for her in this uh, battle, Lord, that she be in good spirit. Lord, I, I praise you for Noah and his birth. And Lord, just what a time of rejoicing in that. And I, I pray for him in these early days, and I also pray for, um, for his family around him, Lord, that it is such a, a time of joy when a new life comes into the world. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who live in the Southeast who uh, might be impacted by Hurricane Dorian this week. And Lord, I, I pray that this storm be weakened. I pray that it not be as bad as, as what they're saying. Lord, I, I pray for those also in the, in the Caribbean and those who are gonna be impacted by this storm. Lord, I, I, um, I, I just pray for those in, in those zones, for those who are going to be responding and offering aid throughout the country, throughout the world. Lord, I, I pray for, for opportunities for the gospel to still be spread even in the midst of that chaos, Lord, and, and that you would still use this for your own glory, and I trust that you will. Lord, I pray for the message today that it be honoring and pleasing to you, that it be edifying to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys are still getting to know me. And one thing about me is I did not grow up going to church. I was always a pretty curious person. From a pretty young age, I thought there had to be something. I remember growing up, I had some cousins who were Catholic, who went to Mass every week, and in their house, they had a crucifix. I didn't know it was called a crucifix at the time, but they had a crucifix. And I would see this, this guy. And I had no idea who he was. I had no idea why they had a, a decoration of somebody who was half naked with a beard on this. I, didn't, I probably didn't even know the word cross at the time. It made no sense to me. When I was in high school, I took a humanities class when we studied world religions, and I thought it was fascinating. 
The idea of God made sense to me. The idea of a loving God made sense to me. The idea of a good God made sense to me. But when we studied Christianity, Jesus did not make sense to me. I thought, if you have God, then why do you need him? I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand passages like John chapter 1, where we'll be today. It's a passage that tells us a lot about Jesus. And it'll, it'll explain why he matters. It's really, it's one of the loftiest sections in the Bible about Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In English, that's just three sentences. It's just 41 words. It can be so easy to read these verses for just a few seconds and just continue right on through to the rest of the chapter. But it's a mountain of meaning. Our passage today will make four affirmations that are four of the most fundamental truths that you can possibly know about Jesus as we continue this morning in our study of the Gospel of John. Last week, we looked at the first 18 verses of John, which really introduces some of the major themes of John. Today, we're taking somewhat of a step back and just looking at the first three verses of the first chapter. But again, we've, we've really only just scratched the surface of this spectacular book. With that, let's just jump right into our, our passage this morning. Again, if you're taking notes, there's four affirmations that it makes about Jesus. First one, Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. One thing we addressed last week, but John opens up by referring to Jesus as the Word. I take it almost as a title for Jesus at the beginning of John. In the Old Testament, it is through the word of the Lord that God creates, speaks to his people, makes his promises, and points people to truth. In Jesus, we see the ultimate disclosure of divine love, wisdom, truth, and salvation. And so it is therefore fitting to refer to Jesus as the word. In the beginning was the word. That means that there was never a time when the word was not. And that's important because right from the beginning of John, it confronts a common error that has existed essentially since the time of Jesus. And that error is thinking that Jesus is created, or thinking that God made Jesus, or thinking that he was a really good man who was sort of promoted to a divine status. None of that is true. He was in the beginning. This is something that John repeatedly emphasizes in his writings. In the beginning of 1 John, he talks of Jesus, he speaks of his eternity. The first words of 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. We also see John referring to Jesus as an eternal being in the beginning of the book of Revelation. In a vision, John says in Revelation 1.17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Jesus is the first and the last. He is eternal. He has always existed. And this is something that will continue to unfold throughout the passage. Second affirmation. Jesus has fellowship with God. The verse continues, and the word was with God. 
Another absolutely monumentally profound reality from this passage. Think about it for just a moment. The Old Testament is filled with lofty language of the majesty of God, as it should be. Exodus 33, Moses wants to see the glory of God, and God tells Moses in Exodus 33:20, "You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live." It's because man is sinful. And because God is so vibrant and righteous and full of life that it is completely overwhelming to fallen and sinful people. In that story, we see the glory of the Lord is revealed to Moses. And Exodus 34 tells us that Moses comes down from the mountain and his skin was so radiant, so luminous from being in the presence of the glory of God, people were afraid of Moses. He had to, he had to cover his face with a veil. 1 Kings 8, the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple. Verse 10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord was so overwhelming that the priests could not stand to minister. Isaiah 6. The prophet is given a vision of the throne room of heaven. And he says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The presence of the Lord is completely awesome and terrifying as you behold his glory and majesty and life. If you've ever stood at a great waterfall and you can feel the hundreds of thousands of gallons of water every minute spilling over the edge, it's, it's an awe-inspiring experience. But that's no comparison to encountering the eternal and almighty God of the universe. And yet with Jesus, we're told the word was with God. Jesus can see God. He can behold the glory of God because he himself is glorious and righteous. In the beginning, there was fellowship with Jesus and God the Father. Not mentioned in this section but also with the Holy Spirit. God did not make us because he was lonely or bored or because he needed us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. God has always existed in fellowship with himself. It is eternal and perfect. This passage does not build the entire doctrine of the Trinity by itself, but it's very important in understanding a Trinitarian theology. God is triune. Jesus was with God. Something else that matters in this passage is that it's showing distinction between Jesus and God. Jesus is not simply God the Father coming into the world. Rather, he exists in fellowship with God. There is no dysfunction within the Holy Trinity, only perfect unity. That's something really that's hard to wrap our minds around because the world has fallen. Our relationships are imperfect. Our friendships, our marriages are imperfect. They're dysfunctional. Even good relationships, we still have times of hurt and disagreement. So with what we see, it's all that we know. And so it's hard to imagine a perfect relationship where there's no keeping score, where there's never any resentment or bitterness, where there's no sin. But really, that says a lot about us as people. 
that we're so dysfunctional and sinful that a perfect relationship almost seems weird to us. We too often become comfortable with dysfunction. Jesus has a perfect relationship with God, and that in itself is helpful in understanding the restoration that Jesus brings into the lives of people. Jesus died to mend broken relationships, but it's because there's perfect fellowship within the Trinity that this is possible. Third affirmation, Jesus is God. The text continues, and the word was God. Now, when it says was, usually we say was, it's referring to something that used to be, but is no longer. Jesus still is God. You know, before I was married, I was a bachelor, or 15 years ago, George W. Bush was the president, or at the turn of the last century, Illinois football was good. Things that used to be. (laughs) The word was and is God. The central theme of John's gospel, the lordship of Christ. Something to consider. This would have been an absolutely radical idea in the first century. And I think it can be hard for us in 2019 in America to really appreciate that because we've grown up in a culture and a society of Judeo-Christian values. But in this day, it would have been radical. There's a prayer that Orthodox Jews recite daily in many circles multiple times a day from the book of Deuteronomy. It affirms both that there is one God and the command to love God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Every day, multiple times a day, reciting those words. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was and is at the very bedrock of the Jewish belief system. And John was Jewish, and Jesus was Jewish. Yet without contradiction, right off the bat in his testimony of who Jesus is, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John believed and here affirms that Jesus is God. That is the orthodox view of Christianity throughout the history of the church. Jesus is God. He's a person of the Trinity. Borrowing from Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, Historical, Orthodox, Biblical, Christian Belief, we believe in the three following things. There is one God. God is three persons. Each of those persons is fully God. One God, three persons. Each of those persons is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I said this earlier. Again, you can't build an entire doctrine of the Trinity just off of these three verses, but they are at the bedrock of that doctrine, because this passage affirms that Jesus is God, and also that there is distinction between Jesus and God. In his commentary of John, Leon Morris talks of Jesus and God the Father and says, the Word and God are not identical, but they are one. And you might be thinking, that is so hard for me to wrap my mind around. I would say you're wrong because it's impossible for you to wrap your mind around because you're not God. We don't know exactly how it's simultaneously true that we have one God who is three persons and each person is fully God. 
But the Bible affirms all of those statements. I mentioned earlier that the belief in one God was central to Jewish belief. It's central to Christianity, too. We also believe in one God, one triune God. Throughout his ministry, we see Jesus showing his divinity through his miraculous signs. We see his victory over death. We see his perfect and holy life. He's God. All of this taken together in our passage, we see that that the word was with God. It shows his relationship and distinction. That Jesus is God shows his divinity. And again, that matters tremendously. And we have all of these affirmations right at the very beginning of John's gospel. If Jesus were not God, he would not be a worthy sacrifice for our sins. If he were just a great man, he would be fallible. If he were just a great teacher, he could be wrong. If he were just a great leader, he would still be finite. But he is the perfect God of creation. And he entered into a sinful creation to redeem humanity. It also matters because if Jesus was less than God, then not only would he be unworthy of worship, but the very act of worshiping him would be blasphemous. From the beginning of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. We're told elsewhere in the Bible that God is a jealous God. But the Gospels show people worshiping Jesus, and he never corrects them or deflects worship when that happens. That's either blasphemy or it's warranted. There's no middle ground. It's either acceptable to worship him or it's not. The reason why it's warranted, why it's acceptable, is because Jesus is God. Some of us have grown up learning about Jesus our whole lives. Some of us have spent many decades knowing Jesus, studying his words, believing in his gospel. It's what we know. It's what we believe. It's what we love. But again, John was Jewish. And what he knew and loved was that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But from knowing and following Jesus, from spending time with Jesus, from seeing the risen Christ, he affirms that Jesus is the Lord. I said last week that one of the things I love about John's gospel is that it constantly confronts you with absolute claims about Jesus. Chief among them is that Jesus is God. That's an absolute claim. It's either true or it's not. If it's true, the only response is to worship him and to trust in him and to believe in him. And if it's not, then the rest of this gospel is meaningless And blasphemous. I touched on this a few minutes ago. One mistake that people have made throughout the history of the church is thinking that Jesus is created. But there's a second mistake that has existed basically as long as the church has been around. And that is thinking that Jesus is somehow a lesser God thinking he's very good, but not quite as good as God the Father. And that's not some obscure academic theological point. That's an area where there are groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses 
who get the Trinity wrong because they undermine Jesus' role. And in getting the Trinity wrong, they get Jesus wrong in relegating him as being somehow less than God. Jesus is not a secondary God or another God. He's not created by God. He's the God of creation, and he has always been God. Verse 2 restates the initial information, affirmations from verse 1. It doesn't give us any new information of what John has said in the first verse. It's almost meant to reinforce the first verse. Like if you didn't get this the first time, John says, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Fourth affirmation, verse 3, Jesus made everything. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And again, this is speaking of the divinity of Jesus. All things were made through him. I once heard a pastor say, all means all, and that's all all means. (laughs) The ground, the trees, the sand of the beaches, the stars in the sky, the air that we breathe, the materials that we use to build things, all of it was made by Jesus. He made every person. Each of us has billions of cells in our bodies, incredible complexity and structure. He made the universe the unfathomably big universe that we live in. I thought this this was an interesting um, exercise. So the distance between the Earth and the sun is about 93 million miles. So if 93 million miles were just the, the width of this piece of paper, the distance across our entire galaxy would be a stack of papers 453 miles high. With each stack of paper having, with each mile high stack of paper having about 15 million sheets of paper, times 453, each of those representing 93 million miles of distance. And that's just our galaxy. There's 100 billion galaxies in the universe, which is also a really difficult number to comprehend, so maybe this will help. So, our incredibly big galaxy, one of 100 billion, Imagine you put it on a page in an atlas of the entire universe, and each page in this atlas was one entire galaxy out of 100 billion galaxies. And you're flipping through this this atlas, and it's going to take a while because there's 100 billion pages in it. So you're going at just one page per second. If you were to do that, one page per second, 100 billion galaxies, it would take you 31,000 years to flip all the way through that atlas. The universe is unimaginably big. And really, I mean, just in Earth, even, we're still discovering new things. Did you know that they are still discovering new species of animals? I, I thought we kind of knew what we had. We, we don't. They still find new stuff. And they're not all little insects. Since the year 2000, a new species of primate has been found. We don't even know everything that's in our own planet. The amazingly big world and universe, and Jesus made all of it. There are other passages in the New Testament which speak to this fact. Colossians 1.16, speaking of Jesus, says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
We see this language as well in the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1.10, referring to Jesus, says, You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus is the creator. He made everything. And John states it both ways. He made everything, and also there's nothing that he did not make. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is a mighty God. It's a lofty passage. It's a confrontational passage. You affirm these truths or you don't. Our society often likes to treat Jesus as something you can just take or leave. Gravity isn't something you just take or leave. Arithmetic isn't something you can just take or leave, decide it doesn't matter. Breathing isn't something you can just take or leave. Jesus isn't something you can just take or leave. Jesus isn't just a nice person or a nice idea. He is the Lord of creation and the Savior of the world. Many cherry-pick his teachings. Others treat him as a good teacher or just one among many great religious leaders. Jesus isn't just a great religious teacher. He's God. The sages of other major religious traditions were born. Buddha wasn't in the beginning. Muhammad wasn't in the beginning. But in the beginning was the word. There have been great leaders in the world who have influenced nations. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Gandhi. Some like to act like Jesus is just another wise person in that tradition. But he's so much more than that. He was in the beginning. And he created all things. Jesus isn't simply a great man. Jesus gave life to all these people. And that's not true the other way around. Any person, anything that has ever existed, lived and existed because it was created by Jesus. Again, it's not true the other way around. Jesus doesn't depend on anyone or anything. He is almighty, the first and the last, before all things. I mentioned in the beginning that I didn't know who Jesus was when I was in high school. If I could talk to my younger self, I think I would show him a passage like John 1. Because it explains who Jesus is. That he's the God of creation. Jesus is the Lord. Our world likes to undermine or disregard or be oblivious to these four truths. Jesus, that he is divine, that he's eternal, that he exists in a relationship with God, that he's the creator. And that he's also the savior of the world. And it's because of the first four that we can have the fifth. It's because he was in the beginning that we can know he will be there in the end. That we can trust his promises. That he is the first and the last. That he is the God of all times for all times. It's because the word was with God that we can have a restored relationship with God. It's because the word was God that he is a worthy sacrifice for our sins. It's because he made all things, because he's the creator, that he can make a new creation. That he can make a new creation in the heart of anyone who turns to him and trusts in him and believes in his gospel. Jesus is the Lord, he is God, and he is salvation. And the only response is to trust in Jesus for what he has done. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your gospel and for the work that Christ has done to make unworthy people worthy. Lord, I pray for every person here today that we know this message, that it be our greatest joy and delight. Lord, I pray for all of us through the difficulties and challenges we might face this week to to trust in Jesus and turn to him and walk with him. In Jesus' name, amen.